Hi there, welcome to the Causeway Coast Vineyard podcast. We are a church who are passionate about seeing the transformation of individuals and institutions in our city through the generations to see all things new in our community. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, wow. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. If, if you're new here, if this is your first time, um, that is not what happens all the time when I come on stage. Um, sometimes people just go, oh, that guy. But um, I, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, uh, I just want to say, uh, I, I, you know, I've, been, I've been away for about six months. Uh, I've been very ill. I wanted to clear that up um, because uh, last week, um, you, you may have heard, if you were here, Neil um, compared me to Abraham, but not because of my faith, but because of my age. And, um, you know, <laughs> alleged millennial, Neil Young, and said I was 75, and uh, that's not true. And, and if you, and again, if you don't know what's been happening with me, um, I was, I've been very ill since the summer. Um, I had a, I've got a genetic condition that's wrong in my stomach, and um, I didn't know I had it, and it hit me pretty hard, and so I've been in and out of hospital a couple times, and sort of on bed rest and everything, and, um, but I'm back. It's not because I'm 75, and I just want to make it really clear this morning, I am not retired. It's good to be back. It is. It really is. It really is. And uh, this morning, I, I, I can't tell you. My name's Trey, by the way, if you didn't get that. Um, what, a, what a joy it is to be with you, um, just to, to be in this room again and, and singing. Um, but um, I, you know, I've, I've been journeying still on, at home online. And if you're with us online this morning, isn't it amazing how Jesus can meet us? On the other side of the world, I'm thinking about my friends in Australia who are with us this morning online. Um, we've got friends in Africa who watch um, every Sunday. It's amazing how the presence of Jesus is not contained to a building, isn't it? He's good. He's good to us. This morning, I want to carry on our Into the Mystery series, and I want to talk this morning about what holds us back from the supernatural. We sometimes hear, we talk about being naturally supernatural, like we want to be people who naturally work in the supernatural. And I often make it really clear that um, even though I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, I'm very awkwardly supernatural. But for a lot of time in my um, Christian life, I, I wasn't supernatural at all. I wasn't naturally or awkwardly, or I was just not supernatural, you know? And it was because I was being held back by things, and, and it took me years to kind of understand that. But what I want to go through this morning is what might be some of the things that could be holding me and you back from all that Jesus has for us, particularly as we step into the mystery, as we embrace the supernatural, as we empower, uh, we ask the Holy Spirit to empower us for what we need to see, not just in our lives, but in our families, and our communities, our workplaces, our cities, our nations right now. So let's, uh, let's pick up, we're going to start in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 14, the first verse here, follow the way of love. Now, we love that part, don't we? Follow the way of love. That just sounds like a great thing. Like, oh, I'd love to follow the way of love. And then the second part, though, comes in, and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, what I want to focus on this morning is that point of being, that we'd be people who eagerly desire. When you eagerly desire something, it means it's something that you want, you, you search for, you're hungry for. Now, I have to be honest with you, for much of my walk with Jesus when I was younger, I did not eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, I eagerly avoided the gifts of the Spirit as much as possible. 
The scriptures don't say that. Follow the way of love and eagerly avoid the gifts of the Spirit. It says eagerly desire. But for, that may be the place that you're at. In my journey with the Holy Spirit, in many ways, even though the Holy Spirit, not, I mean, let me just understand this. It's not that if you haven't experienced the power of the Holy Spirit that he's not with you. It's just that you haven't noticed it yet. Okay? If today is the day you met Jesus, if you gave your heart to Jesus today, the Holy Spirit is filling you even now in this moment. Isn't that good news? You can't make it, you can't squeeze it into you more. Do you know when my children were born, they didn't know that I loved them. But I did. When Elena first gave her first cry, she didn't know that I loved her, but I loved her, and I was going to give her everything in the world. It took her years to understand who daddy was. Right? But I've always there. In the same way, the Holy Spirit's with you right now. He's here with us. Don't you sense his presence? Isn't it good? My journey for that really began in many ways through the vineyard movement. Um, long before I became a part of the vineyard or even knew that I wanted to be in the vineyard or that I realized I didn't really want to be in the vineyard, to be honest with you. I kind of came to the vineyard and realized one day, oh, this is who I'm supposed to be all along. This is my little family, you know? But it began because Ellie Mumford, um, kind of the mother of the movement here in the UK and Ireland, uh, uh, John and Ellie Mumford, um, if you don't know who they are, it's okay, but there's some older people who kind of fathered and mothered what, we've, what we have in, in, the, in our movement of churches called the Vineyard, and they're extraordinary, and they're crazy, insane, wonderfully insane, you know? Ellie Mumford, there was a kind of a move of God going on in Toronto at one of the vineyard churches and Ellie Mumford went over and, and was just, just met with God very profoundly and came back and went to Holy Trinity Brompton, a very big, very posh church in London. And then Sandy Miller, one of the vicars there, I think he was the rector at the time, I don't even know what those things mean, but you know, those things, you know, the English people and the vicars and the rectors and the bishops and the things, okay, all right. So she prayed, with, uh, she prayed for Sandy, and Sandy was deeply, profoundly filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we invited him to come to youth with the mission, the missions community that I was a part of at that time. This has been about 1994. And so Sandy came and just shared briefly what God had been doing and then prayed, come Holy Spirit. And the room just went crazy. Things just started happening everywhere. And I was like, don't like this. Don't like this. Let's share the mission of Jesus around the world, but I don't want to do it like that. You know what I mean? Because things were happening that weren't my experience, right? And it was different than what I knew and what I felt safe with. But let me tell you what happened, though, is even though that was going, because at that moment, people were laughing a lot. It was like the joy of the Lord was coming back into place in the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes the evidence of that or, or, or what, what, the, the kind of fruit of that or what you see happening, people be laughing, okay? And it was pretty, if you're like a good Southern Baptist boy from the South, it was weird, right? You know, you're praying, come Holy Spirit, and someone goes, <laughs> and I was just like, we don't laugh in church, we don't clap, we don't applaud, we don't move, we don't breathe, okay? You know? And, and, and I remember, it, it, was just, it was so far outside my world, you know? I remember one, one minute this woman started going, whoa, whoa, and I was like, <laughs> and the minute I laughed at that, people surrounding me went, more, Lord, more, and I was like, no, 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 no. It wasn't my experience, but let me tell you what I couldn't deny anymore is I couldn't deny that God was doing something and I didn't understand it. But here's the thing, what I found is that whatever God began to do in that place, God did something in me even in that place, even though I was kind of standing on the sidelines, not sure. Because within just a couple of years, I'd gone from leading the communications for YOM to leading a, a movement of, of young people and young leaders that led to over 3,000 leaders from 52 nations. 
And the only way I can explain that is not because I was skilled, it's because something, the Holy Spirit was doing something in me and I didn't even understand it yet. You know? So that, I had to start to learn what it means to, be, to become someone who eagerly desires it. And I guess the way that I want to explain it to you is I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about baseball. Um, I, I love baseball. Um, baseball is, a, is the proper version of that thing you play when your children called rounders, okay? <laughs> now, rounders <laughs> is not a real game, okay? Baseball is the professional version of that game. And this year, on the 2nd of November, just a few weeks ago, my hometown team, the Atlanta Braves, won the World Series. This is the first time in, since 1996 that we've won the World Series. You guys, I can tell, you guys are like, we don't understand baseball, World Series, Braves, don't care about any of them. For me, it was one of the great moments of my life, okay? My son was with me. It was, it was incredible. We, but, but in that moment, as, you know, as when the Braves won, and, and now the world champion, Braves, and I, I realize it's the world champions of America and one place in Canada, but never mind, okay? You know, I got thinking about baseball, and, and the thing in baseball is that uh, you, you talk about, if you listen to any commentary about baseball or you ever see a game, one of the things that you'll always hear them talking about is what it means to be a five-tool player of the game. There's five skills that are the basis of baseball. And what you want to be is you want to be great at each one of those skills. So you want to be someone who can hit for position. That means that you can get the ball into place so that you can get on base. You also want to be someone who can hit for power, which means that you can hit the ball a long ways or out of the field for a home run. You also need to be someone who can run well because a lot of the game, once you hit for position, you need to steal bases and move quickly around the base path to score runs. You also want to be someone, and, and the, the, um, the uh, fourth power is called fielding, which is the way you use your glove and your ability to like, catch a ball that comes at you fast or catch it in the outfield. And then finally, the fifth skill is the skill of throwing, where you want to have an arm that's like a rocket so you can throw that ball as far as possible. Now, here's the reality. Not every baseball player is a five-tool player. Most baseball players have three tools. Some of them can hit for power, and they can throw, and they can catch, but they may not be able to run. That was my thing. I could hit for power. <laughs> and I could, you know, throw hard and I could catch the ball, but I was pretty slow around the base path, right? But the thing is, is that throughout all that time, what I realized is I always wanted as a baseball player to develop those other skills. And, and, and my team this year, we won because we had a lot of five-tool players. Now, let me make sense of this. I'm not just trying to give you a lesson on baseball, although you're going to thank me for that because now you're going to go, I should watch some games. And then one day you'll, be, you'll have revelation and you'll go, this is the greatest sport ever invented. But the reason we dream and, and the reason we, we work and we eagerly desire as baseball players to be five-tool players is because then we're a complete player of the game. And we can face any circumstance in the game. Now here's the thing. For some of us, and, and, and for years in my life, I wasn't a five-tool follower of Jesus. I had a few tools. I was good at the word of God. I was good at the evangelism part. I was good at the doctrine and theology part. Those, those are my tools, right? But I didn't eagerly desire to be the other tools. And here's the reality. We, you can play baseball your whole life and just have three or four of the tools or even just two or three of the tools. You can be a specialist in just one tool. But let me tell you where we're at in the history of humanity right now. We can't just be two-tool or three-tool followers of Jesus anymore. We need everything that Jesus has for us in these days, don't we? When you turn on the news right now, I think we're at the limit of what we humans can do on our own, don't you? With, with, with COVID, our, 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 our bless them, our, the, our professionals in the medical world, they're, they're exhausted. They're at the limit of all they can do. They need more than what they can do with science. 
Our economies are buffeted and battered. We need more than what we're able to see with our human eyes. And let me tell you, don't your schools and your businesses and your neighborhoods and your families, don't you need more? Like never before. Like never before. And you often hear this when you see in a baseball game, they'll go, that's a great player. He can really hit for power. But he's held back by his limitations. He's a bad fielder. (laughs) We don't want to be held back by our limitations. And the reality is, is that the greatest thing that holds us back, friends, is us. Us. And we're not living in a time anymore where we can be held back. There was a long period of time in our Christian Western nations where you could skate through on two or three skills. As long as you knew the words to say, maybe that's fine. But we're in a time when right now the world is crying out. Just like the scriptures say, the world groans in eager desire and eager anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to become who they've been called to be. Five tool players. Well, in our case, nine fruit, nine gift players, but we'll get to that, okay? So, so what are some of the things that make us hold ourselves back? And I just want to talk about a few areas that I think, this isn't an exhaustive list, but these are some things that I've seen in my life, and I think they might ring true for you. The first thing that could hold us back is our tradition or our culture. I grew up Southern Baptist. It's the largest Christian denomination in America, based mainly in the South. Um, it's quite a, it has a lot of strength in it. Um, it's strong on the Word of God, strong on doctrine and theology, strong on gospel and evangelism. Those are all good things. But we, the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the supernatural is not a strength. It's, in fact, that's something that's actually, in a way, we, we push back against really hard. But, you know, even as I, as a, when I was a boy, I was strong on all of those things that we did as Baptists. That was my tradition. That was my culture. So it wasn't weird that I would be strong in them. But even then, I knew there must be something more. I had this gnawing ache within me that this cannot be it. It can't be just that I'm good at, like, finding Bible verses quickly. Did you guys ever have things called sword drills? That's a thing? Okay. Where you line up a bunch of kids and then you have to find a Bible verse and step forward. I won like 20 sword drills. I can imagine you would be, Janet. I, I, I just, I don't want, I'm gonna say that in love, but it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I know you well. One of my best friends here, Janet, senior pastor. And um, yeah, ask her to find Jeremiah 315. She'll go, Older New Testament. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now it's not going to be that I retired. It's like I, I fired. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. I mean, you got to understand that the culture that I grew up in was very wary of the supernatural. We would pray for healing at Wednesday night prayer meetings and the you know fellowship hall, but we didn't actually believe someone got healed, right? In fact, I spent a weekend when I was 16 years old at a Bible weekend. My youth pastor taught on the on tongues, which the the point of the weekend was to tell us that tongues were demonic. And this is like real solid theology in their mind, okay? Now, I'm not trying to knock that. I'm just trying to say that that tradition and that culture informed me and influenced me. And it's why I held myself back so much from the power of the supernatural and from the Holy Spirit's work because that's the culture I grew up in. Now, that may be true for some of you as well. I've been around Northern Ireland for 15 years and from what I've seen, it's, I would say, fairly traditional. <laughs> And what happens is when we're hardwired into those things, it's difficult for us because it's hard for us to step beyond the tradition of the culture we've grown up with. 
How many of you also sometimes have heard missionaries tell stories from places like Africa or, or Southeast Asia or, or you know, been out in India or something and they talk about the numbers of miracles that happen? You know why? Because in those cultures, they're much more, it's part of their tradition and culture to expect the mystery, to expect the unexpected, to expect power beyond what they're used to. They're not as wired into the science, give me the ration, give me the evidence. They're wired into a different thing so they see more miracles. Do you think God is working more in Africa? No, he's working equally everywhere, right? That's a pretty important one. Yes, okay, okay, yeah, <laughs> all right. But the thing is, is that so often what happens is we allow our culture to set that, we allow our tradition to set that instead of allowing the spirit of God to set into who we are supposed to be called to be. In the same way, let me tell you, but here's the other, here's the, okay, so that's the negative side. Here's the beautiful, wonderful, positive side. I'm gonna go back to baseball because it is the sport of the Lord. <laughs> right, Lord? I hope so. There will be baseball, right? Okay, anyway. <laughs> I grew up in a culture of baseball. My earliest memories are sitting with my Uncle Bill, listening to the Braves play on the radio. I grew up living and dying by the score line, by the pitch count, whatever. So when I started playing baseball, it was natural as breathing to me. It, never, it was never a stretch for me. It was never a hard thing for me. It was just something that was just in my culture. It's what we did. Like, if you didn't know how to throw a ball, that was, I mean... If you couldn't throw and catch, I mean, you were just, you better not be human almost, right? <laughs> it was the culture I grew up in. It was a positive culture for that. And so because of that, it meant that I grew up and played that. And it was in my culture. So it meant that even when I moved here to Northern Ireland, okay, when I was 42, I played semi-professional baseball for the city of Belfast. 42-year-olds don't play baseball. It's just because it was my culture, so it was easier for me. Does that make sense? Now, the rest of the kids who were on the team, they were good with bats, I don't know what that's about, but I'm just kidding, just kidding. Sorry, sorry. Too far, too far. If you're watching online, you have, I apologize. Okay. <laughs> but here's what I found is that these guys had to work harder because their culture was holding them back where it was easier for me. Does that make sense? So here's the thing. Just because it's hard for us and our culture and our traditions and maybe even religious traditions have held us back, it doesn't mean that it's supposed to stop us from what we're called to become, what the world is longing, and what Jesus has dreamed that we could be through the power of the Holy Spirit. There we go. There's the Lord moving right there. It's okay. It's all good. Is it weird? Yeah, is it outside of my experience? Not now, but I mean, it would have been. But here's what I've learned to do. I've learned to lean into the things that I haven't experienced when I hear the sound of Jesus in it. So we don't want to be people who are held back by our traditions or by our cultures. We don't want to be people who do that. And here's the thing. What we want to do is we want to hardwire a new culture for our kids. In the same way that I got hardwired to a baseball culture, we have a chance to actually break the chain of tradition, to break the chain of culture that keeps us from all that Jesus has, to raise a generation of young people who expect healing. You know, my son and my daughter, they're at different places in their journey with Jesus right now, but both of them, neither one of them. My son, when I came home from the hospital the first time, my son busted in the door, first time he was allowed to see me because they weren't allowed to see me in the hospital, busted in the door, ran down the hall, laid hands on me and began to say in the name of Jesus, heal my father. Why? Because he grew up in a culture where that's what you do when someone's sick. What would it be like if we raised a culture of young people who expected the Holy Spirit to move in all things? In fact, they'd be surprised when he didn't. It's time for us to start thinking and rethinking because here's the thing. We may have grown up in the culture of the South or the culture of Northern Ireland, but we are people who are the culture of the kingdom of God. 
And we want to see the culture that we're building become that. We want to be people who are impossibly certain. That's what we call it here. We're impossibly certain, not because we know all things, but because we know God. So that's one thing that can hold us back. Here's the second thing, fear. Fear is a big one for us. Fear is a really big one. And here's the thing. It's usually not that we're afraid of God doing something. It's that we're afraid God won't do something. Do you hear me? We're not afraid of God doing something. In fact, we, we really want God to do something. We're afraid God might not do what we had hoped he would do. That's far more often the fear. Sometimes it's a fear of being embarrassed. Do you know that sense of that fear of being embarrassed? There have been so many times. I, I, I've been on my back for most of six months. I've had a lot of time with the Lord. And, I, and I've just had moments as I've been just being with the Lord, I've had moments of memories come back to me at times when I was with someone who desperately needed to encounter Jesus and I was so embarrassed to take a chance. And I've grieved those moments and I thought, why did I hold back what Jesus had just because I was embarrassed of what I'd look like? Right? It's a huge cultural thing for us here. In Northern Ireland, we don't want to be, we don't want to stick our heads above the parapet, do we? Stay in the herd, stay in the pack. The people in the front might get shot, stay back here, you know what I mean? I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying it's a thing. And even where I grew up in America, where everybody thinks that we're all like, let's go change. Not that at all. America's just like that too. Don't stick your head out. But the fear of being embarrassed, the fear of <laughs> failing, the fear of what others think of us so often holds us back from what Jesus wants to do. Another fear that really gets at us is the fear of hurting others in that place. This one's been something that could hold me back, has helped me. I've had to fight it for years. When I was, uh, when we were running this, uh, I was talking about that discipleship movement, I hopefully, we had a band and you know, we'd just begun to tour. We were kind of touring all over and that was one of our first tours, we were touring in California. And we were touring in a little town in an area called Modesto. It's a kind of area in California near Turlock and a little bit uh, close to kind of up towards San Francisco area. And um, we actually went over with like five shows booked for, 20, for 25 days, I think. And we ended up playing, I think, 27 shows in 25 days. Because every time we, when I say show, I mean, it was like a worship time. We just called it, you know what I mean? But we'd, we did show and we'd lead worship or just see what God was gonna do. And we didn't really know what we were doing. It wasn't like we knew how to move in the power of the Holy Spirit, but the power of God was moving profoundly. And so people kept coming, you know, they'd book us for the next night, the next place, or can you come and play at the school in the afternoon or whatever? So we were playing all over this area. And the power of God was moving so profoundly. And I didn't have, I'm only able to articulate now some of the things that God was doing because I've learned. It was so out of my experience, but I watched night after night when young people just in the presence of God would just lay down on the floor because they didn't know how to stand up anymore. I didn't know what that was. Did it make me uncomfortable? Yes. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. But I'll never forget one night. We'd had a, the, the power of Jesus was so powerful in the room. I, I couldn't move. It, it felt like that you didn't want to breathe because the presence of Jesus was so powerful. I, I didn't want to miss it. I didn't want to lose a moment of it. And then I saw in the big crowd that was there, I saw a girl being pushed to the front in a wheelchair and I went, no, 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 no. Because they think that I know what I'm doing. And they pushed her to the front and they called me over and they went, can you pray for her to walk again? And let me tell you the fear that rose up within me. I wasn't afraid of being embarrassed anymore. I wasn't afraid of, I was so afraid that I might hurt her that I would raise something in her that God might not come through. Do you understand that? 
So me and my friends, we knelt down around that wheelchair and we began to pray. We were weeping, we were crying. I thought, man, my emotions in that moment, everything feeling within me, I thought if there's ever been a moment someone's gonna get up and walk, this is it. We prayed for like 30, 45 minutes and she didn't get up. I remember that night sitting in a stairwell with one of my best friends, my guitarist on the tour, with both of us just weeping going, what? But then I heard from her a few weeks afterwards and she said that was the most profound encounter I've ever had with Jesus. And what I've begun to learn over the years is this. One day she will walk. One day that wheelchair will not be needed anymore when she's in the presence of Jesus. And even if she had walked in that moment, listen, it would have been an incredible miracle, but it would still be temporary. But her encounter with Jesus is eternal. Don't ever fear that you might hurt someone with something temporary when what you're carrying is the eternal encounter that Jesus brings to us. Hots is back. Healing on the streets is back. They were back yesterday. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, yesterday, right? which is a miracle in itself because I don't know if y'all saw the storm. How did you miss it, right? I put my little dog out and he flew down to the end of the garden. You know what I'm saying? Okay, that part's not true. Okay, all right. But you guys like that idea. You're like, woo! (laughs) Yeah. But you know, our team, our intrepid team out there, you know why? Um, Because they believe that God can move and they're not afraid of stepping out of that. They're not afraid of being embarrassed. They're not afraid that they might hurt someone. They trust the goodness of God in those moments. Someone gave their life to Jesus yesterday on the streets. They'd been out for five minutes. And I mean, let me tell you, it was like hurricane somebody going on. And then a a woman came up and said, pray for me. Isn't that extraordinary? What would happen if we stopped being people of fear and started being people of faith? What would happen if we ran right out our fears? You know, it happens to us all the time. Fear holds us back so often. Listen, there are times in here when someone from the stage, when I'm not, you know, preaching, I'll be sitting down there at the front. They'll say, if you want more of Jesus, step forward. And I go, ooh, I don't want to step forward because I don't want people to think, oh, the preacher doesn't have enough of Jesus. And then, and then somewhere, it's like, you know, for years I wouldn't have done that. I'd been like, well, I'm not going to step forward. You know, or, or, you know, if you're brokenhearted this morning and you need help, step forward. And I'd be like, I am brokenhearted and I need help. I'm not stepping forward because what will people think, right? Here's what I do now. <laughs> If they say, here's the presence of Jesus, I run. We'll take whatever. You know, if you're a complete loser and you've never had any success and you don't know anybody and you've never, you know, whatever, and there's more Jesus here for you, I'll be like, complete loser, I'm in, right? Because I don't want to be driven by fear anymore. I want to be marked by faith. I want to be a person who is marked by faith. Let's not let fear hold us back anymore. Let's not. And then the last point, and again, I, again, it's not an exhaustive list, is when we've seen counterfeits or we've had bad experiences. This keeps so many of us back, doesn't it? I grew up in the South, and uh, televangelists, you know these guys on Christian TV, you know? Not all Christian TV is bad, some of it's amazing. But I grew up with particularly bad Christian TV. My brother and I um, became really good friends, not, not until he was about 11. Up until he was about 11 or 12, I wanted to kill him, um, as you do. I just would try to kill him a lot. You know, just drive the car over him. Little things, you know, not major. Tackle him, you know, throw him down the stairs. Just small things. But, um, you know, and then, and then as with most brothers, you know, um, if you're a little bit older than your brother, they get to an age and you suddenly go, this is the greatest person ever and you become best friends, right? And that's what happened to me and my brother. But our thing we used to do together is at night we would watch televangelists on TV and just die from cringe, right? And I saw so much bad and manipulative use of the Holy Spirit that it put me off the Holy Spirit completely. 
for two reasons. One, I thought maybe it's all fake. Two, I don't want to do that. And see, sometimes when we've seen a counterfeiter, we've had a bad experience with it, what happens is we then go, I'm going to run away from that completely. Let me be honest with you. You know, I, I, every morning that I get up to speak here with my accent, I'm afraid that there's some of you in the room going, oh, it's one of those guys. That I'm going to be like, I want you to open your hearts and your pocketbooks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Put your hand right here on the screen, right? And I have to move back from that and go, just because I've, had a counterfe- I've seen counterfeits or bad experiences, I'm going to step back from that because that doesn't mean the real thing doesn't exist. Imagine if we did that with other things in our life. How many of you have heard someone sing a song badly? Holla. Okay, I, I'm a music producer, okay? People believe that I have the power to, to make them stars, okay? So people send me recordings of themselves singing all the time. I've heard some absolute howlers. Sometimes like advice where you go, okay, <laughs> it's always bad when you start an email, you know, what'd you think of my new song? Okay, um, maybe take two weeks off and then quit forever, you know what I mean? Or, or people will say, this is a song the Lord gave me, and you hear it and you go, I could see why I was trying to get rid of it, you know what I mean? I just, <laughs> It's not a good one, right? Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. You're okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Everybody's okay. It's gonna be okay. But the reality is, is that sometimes, the reality, it's not like that when we hear one bad song, we go, music is terrible. Right? Like you don't watch like one of those horrific auditions on America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent or Bake Off, not Bake Off, <laughs> the singing. You know, we don't watch one bad one and then go, I'm off music, that's it, I'm done. How many of you have had a bad meal or gotten food poisoning? Yeah, okay. People are like, yes, right? That doesn't put you off food. Even if in the moment, like if you've had really bad food poisoning, and I have, and even when you're like doing the, you always go, I'll never eat again. But you know what? You will, (laughs) right? Why do we treat the Holy Spirit and seeing the move of the Spirit that way? Why do we, if we see one bad time? We go to a meeting and someone tries to push us over and we go, oh, I'm not doing that ever again. No, you just had a bad singer. I mean, blow it off the way you do when someone, you turn, you know, it's like when you go to a, like a kid's choir, school choir thing, you don't, I mean, it's, it's cute. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I know you do, Jan, I know. And, and, we, and we love it though because it's so bad, right? There's like a kid on the side just going, there's another kid just slapping a child. Just There's a kid doing this, you know. You don't look at that and go, boy, that's worth 35 quid. I will, I'm SSE, next time they're coming, I'm down, right? When will the um, <clears throat> St. Aldate's kids be singing again? I mean, you're not going to camp out for tickets for that, right? But it doesn't put you off music. It doesn't make you go, there's not music that lifts me to, to a place that I've never been before. Don't make the same mistake with the Holy Spirit. We've seen a lot of bad performances. That doesn't mean that he's not good, that his presence isn't moving. So let's not let those things hold us back. So how do we write our course? How do we shift back? How do we become people who are moving in the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit? You know, the the fruit of the Spirit grows naturally. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That grows naturally when we're planted. We don't go up to an apple tree and go, here's an apple, put it on your branch. We expect apple trees, if they're taken care of, to make apples, right? That's fruit. But gifts must be given. So if we're following Jesus today actively, then we should be expecting love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control to be growing in our lives. But the gifts of the Spirit come when we open our hands and we go, give me the gift that you have for me, Lord. 
Do you see the difference there? And we need them both, don't we? As we grow in the fruit of the spirit of love, then we need the gift of healing because we meet more people and we love more. And as we love deeply, we see people need healing in their hearts and their minds and their bodies. And we go, as I grow in love, I need more of the gift of your spirit. We want to be full five-tool players, well, nine-tool players, I guess we could call it, right? Let's go back to the word really quickly, just for a few principles, and then we're going to do a little thing here, okay? So 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So firstly, here's the thing we need to do. We need to actively pursue, and we need to not shut down. So what you see in that scripture is you see, be eager to prophesy, don't forbid speaking in tongues. We want to be people who actively pursue and people who don't shut things down. What, how do we do that? Here's the thing we ask. We go, does God have something for me in this? Because if God has something for me, then I want it. Even when I'm uncomfortable. Does that make sense? I, I used to be the kind of person, if I got uncomfortable, I'd be like, well, I will throw the whole thing out. Now, when I go to meetings that, you know, are a little weird for me, you know, like when maybe Janet's leading. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I promise I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but when I go to a meeting where like things are maybe outside of my comfort zone, here's what I do is I go, God, if you've got something for me in there, I want it. And if it's uncomfortable for me, I run even harder towards it because I never grow being comfortable. It's only in the uncomfortable edges that we grow, right? You don't grow from working out when it doesn't hurt. You grow from working out because it makes you sore because you're stretching for things, right? Here's how you do it in these moments. What we do is we just look and see where's Jesus in this? Because if there's a bit of Jesus, then I want all that Jesus is to have. And I trust that I can spit out the bones. I'll take the meat and spit out the bones. We don't want to get too comfortable. So often what we do is we've become comfortable. You know what I mean? I can remember the first time I raised my hands in worship. I was in my teens because it wasn't something we did. I mean, we were holding hymnals. We didn't do anything, right? But the first time I raised my hands in worship, it was like I wanted so badly to like worship Jesus and everyone around me was worshiping Jesus. That way. And I was like, oh, I want to do it. I want to do it. And I finally was like, looked like I was asking a question of the worship leader. You know, I was looking around, whatever. <laughs> Now, of course, man, now I don't care what any of you think about my arms being raised. And in each way, what I want to do is I want to run to the things that make me uncomfortable if I hear the sound of Jesus in it. We grow in the places of discomfort. Next up, let's move on. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. We need to be people who are willing to test and reject with wisdom. So often what we do is we take it all or we throw it all out. Don't you? We take it all on or we throw it all out. And here's what I want you to hear. The scriptures talk about it. We need to be people who learn to eat the meat and spit out the bones. We're told here to test. That means that when someone gives us a prophetic word or we're seeing something, we can test it. We can say, is that you, Lord? You know, I'm married to this girl, a woman, She's a grown woman. She's an adult woman named Tori. <laughs> okay. And I've been with Tori since she was 16. And I was 17. So clear all this up really quickly here. If you're watching at home online and you've never seen me before, everything's fine. It is. It's fine. I love you. Put your hand on the screen. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Okay. I met Tori when she was 16. I was 17. I know everything about her. My life has been built around her. So when Tori walks through the foyer in this building, if I'm anywhere in the building within sound of her, her boots clomping through that foyer, foyer, I know it's Tori because I know the sound of her feet. So here's what I do now when I'm in a place where the Holy Spirit's moving and I don't know what it is. I just go, let me listen for the feet of Jesus. 
How, do I, how have I learned Tori's feet? Because I adore her and I spend all as much time as I can with her. You want to learn how to test? Get intimate with Jesus. You want to know when you're able to go with wisdom? That ain't for me. Get close to Jesus. But just reject the stuff that's not from Jesus. Don't reject the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not hard. It just takes work, right? Listen for the sound of his footsteps. When we do that, what happens? You know, it's, it's like we, 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 we're called to take action and engagement. Isn't it so much easier to just kind of be lazy and just go, oh, I'm not feeling it today? Or my, the thing I like to say, that's not my vibe. Tori, bless her, calls me out on that all the time. God will be moving. Tori will be like, this is incredible. And I'll be like, not my vibe. And she's like, what if it's the Lord's vibe and you're on the wrong vibe? And I'm like, would you go sit over there? Here's the thing. The fruit of the Spirit should be coming naturally to us as we follow. But the gifts, we need to open our hands. It takes action and engagement. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It takes action and engagement. Let's move on. We're, we're coming into land here, okay? Uh, number, uh, uh, 1 Timothy 4, 14 through 15. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. And again, and Paul's writing to a young man called Timothy, and here's what he's saying. Tim, we need to be diligent and not neglect what Jesus has made available. So often in our lives, what's happened is Jesus has made available to us stuff through the Holy Spirit, and we've neglected it. We've taken some things, but we've neglected others. Um, my parents um, have a farm in Missouri now, and they've got all my childhood toys and things, you know, at that farm. And my mom's trying to get us to all come down to the farm and get rid of all that stuff or to move it to, you know. I'm like, Mom, I can't, like, pack up a box to Northern Ireland full of children's toys, you know, but whatever. And, you know, the last time I was home, I was on the farm, and I was going through some of those boxes with my mom, and I found these art sets that I got for Christmas every year. You know, like these kind of art sets that like come in a case and you open it and it's like every color of crayon, every color of chalk and these perfect pencils and everything. And I <laughs> was given those year after year because I kept telling my parents I want to be an artist. But they were so perfect and I kept waiting for the right moment and I never opened them. My parents kept giving me that gift and I never opened them, never used them. And I sat there surrounded by like seven or eight of these completely perfect art sets and wept because I felt the Lord say to me, how often do I give you things and you wait for the perfect moment? Let me make this clear to you. The perfect moment to say, come Holy Spirit is always now. The perfect moment when we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is always right now. Whatever moment we're in, that's the moment. And how often have we been given these gifts by the Father through the Holy Spirit and we've maybe waited for the right moment for it? Or, or, we're just so afraid that we might get it wrong. You know what the hardest thing about my, me and being an artist was? I was so afraid I'd be bad at it that I wouldn't even open my art sets. And guess what? It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm a terrible artist. If you ever come to my small group and I start drawing on the whiteboard, you'll be like, you're a terrible artist. I never used the gifts that I was given. How often in our lives do we not take the gifts that our Father is freely giving through the Holy Spirit? We have to be diligent. We have to be people who actively step into it. And then finally, here's the thing. First, uh, 2 Timothy 1. And again, this is the second letter that Paul's writing to this young man, Timothy. He says this, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame this gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Here's the thing. We need to stir up the gift of God within us, which is in you and me through Jesus. Just like I said at the beginning, the Holy Spirit's with you. If you've called on his name today, the Holy Spirit's with you. We want to be people who stir that up and fan it into flame. For six months, I've been 
I was in hospital for a long time in isolation. I was flat on my back, and then after that, I, when I got out of hospital, they had, had given me so many, such a bad infection and everything that I just had to spend a lot of time just laying down. <laughs> and right now, I'm in a process of having to fan my life back into flame. Um, I, today is a huge challenge for me just to stand up this long because I've spent so many months on my back. And there's a temptation for me to go, well, this is just my life now, right? Get a mobility scooter. I'll come up right over here, just ride on the stage and be like, good morning. Right? Actually, I'd prefer a mobility bed, you know, just like this. Morning, I'm here to preach, right? But I have to stir up the things again. I'm having to go back and do basic stuff. I walk up and down the stairs of my house. Two weeks ago, my big goal was to walk to the end of my street. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's because I've been on my back for so long. And for some of us as followers of Jesus, we have been flat on our backs for so long that we've got to get up again and start retraining those muscles and fanning it into flame. Sisters and brothers, I say that with love. Some of us have been laying in our mobility scooter beds for so long while the world around us is crying out for someone to bring them hope. We've got to be diligent and fan it into flame. It's painful, it's sore. Today, I'm going to be sore. When I go home today, I'm going to lay down and I'm going to struggle to get back up for the rest of the day. But I won't be as sore the next time I do this. And there will be a day that I stand here again and I won't be sore at all anymore because I'm going to stir up this thing within me. But it takes our action and our engagement. Thank you for joining us for our podcast today. For more information, resources, and opportunities, you can check us out at cosmicoastvineyard.com.